Welcome, everybody. Um, let me introduce myself. I am Corey Lights. I'm the manager here at the Cathedral Bookstore. Uh, we are located at St. Philip's, uh, St. Philip. Uh, I appreciate you all being here tonight. This is our first uh, episode in the series um, of Conversations with the Priest. We're very excited to have all of you here. Um, the series is going to open up with uh, the Reverend Dr. Horace L. Griffin and Reverend the Reverend Canon Kathy Zappa. Um, first, we are going to start with an opening prayer from um, Horace. God be with you. And also with you. Let us pray. Gracious and ever-loving God, we give you thanks for this evening. We thank you for this time together. We thank you for all the blessings that you give us in this life. Thank you for Corey Lights and this bookstore and for this series. For the priests that you've called to serve and for all who receive the service that we offer. Be with us this night in this conversation as we talk about the grief that we're experiencing during this pandemic. Keep us ever mindful of your grace and your mercy and how you support us in the midst of all trials and tribulations. May your spirit dance among us this evening so that it will be a conversation that will be light, uplifting, comforting, instructive as we find ways to address the grief that is upon us. You have promised that you will comfort us when we mourn. So please be with us and comfort us this day and in the days to come. We pray all these prayers and ask all these blessings in the name of the one who came that we would have abundant life. And we pray in the name of God, creator, redeemer, and sustainer. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Horace. And once again, thank you, everyone that can be here tonight. Um, we are asking that you all put it on your Zoom meeting on speaker view. The speaker view is located in the top right-hand corner of your screen. Um, so we can focus on both Kathy and Horace during um, this conversation tonight. Um, I want to start by introducing both Kathy and Horace, um, the Reverend Canon Kathy Zappa. She came to the cathedral as Canon for spirituality and mission in December 2014. Having previously served in a dual capacity as part-time priest um, at Church of the Holy Spirit in Coming and as program director of the Theological Studies program at Arendelle Prison in Alto, Georgia. Kathy has served the cathedral as canon for education, worship, and has worked closely in the chaplaincy programs of the women's prison system in Atlanta. Currently, she serves as canon for liturgy and pastoral care. Before graduating with a Master of Divinity 
from Candler School of Theology at Emory, Kathy earned a Master of Arts in German Literature and a Bachelor of Arts in English from the University of Texas, um, once intending a career in education. She also has a Bachelor of Arts from the University of Georgia in German. Thank you, Kathy, for being here. And now, Horace. In July of 2017, the Reverend Dr. Horace L. Griffin accepted the position as associate priest for pastoral care and parish life at St. Luke's Episcopal Church in Atlanta. In this role, he draws from his vast experience as a pastoral theologian and pastoral care priest. He organizes the pastoral care work of the parish and offers leadership for the various groups and programs of the church. In 2018, he started a Community of Hope, a lay pastoral care ministry in the Episcopal Church with eight parishioners at St. Luke's. He also began the lay pastoral care ministry, Good Samaritan, which assists and supports parishioners needing meals, transportation, and home support. In addition, as priest for the community uh, ministries, he provides oversight for 14 ministries within Atlanta and beyond. Horace is the former hospice and palliative, palliative care chaplain fellow at the Mountain Home VA Medical Center and chaplain resident at Johnson City Medical Center in Tennessee. Horace received his Bachelor of Arts degree in religion from Morehouse College in Atlanta, a Master of Divinity in Pastoral Care and Counseling from Boston University School of Theology, and a Doctor of Philosophy degree in Religion, Psychology, and Culture from Vanderbilt University. He was ordained as an Episcopal priest in December of 2005. In addition to his chaplaincy, work, Father Griffin served as Professor of Pastoral Theology, Care, and Counseling at General Theological Seminary in New York and Seabury Western Theological Seminary in Evanston, Illinois. In addition, he taught courses at Pacific School of Religion at Berkeley, University of Missouri-Columbia, and Fisk University in Nashville. Thank you, Horace, for being here. Tonight, our conversation is about grief. Um, both Kathy and Horace have experienced grief in their life today, um, in their life as priests uh, in their parish. Um, and I know we've all experienced grief and everything that's going on in the world today. Um, so I ask you both, Horace and Kathy, where and how are you both experiencing grief these days? <laughs> as a Christian and as a human being living in this time and place. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. And thank you all for being here. Um, you know, I always say that showing up on Zoom is a challenge in and of itself, and it a lot of courage, I think, to show up on Zoom, and it takes a lot of courage to show up for a conversation on grief because it's um, a difficult thing to talk about. But um, let's start with you, Horace. Um, where and how are you experiencing grief as a pastor and as a Christian? I think this is, uh, of course, a very difficult time for us, and 
I find myself dealing with my own grief. And I think of the, I was thinking about Kuba Ross's stages of grief. And I find myself just in the anger uh, stage. It has been so difficult because so much has been disrupted. Uh, I'm angry that we can't meet. Uh, I love, I'm an extrovert. So I love being in community and seeing parishioners every week and not being able to see them and touch them and hug them and pray with them has been really hard. So I have tried to keep them encouraged, but I also have been able to share my, my grief or my anger at this so they can feel that it's okay to be frustrated that our lives have been disrupted and we've had a lot of loss and it has been a lot of suffering. So I find myself balancing that. I, I go to God in prayer. Prayer has helped me with that anger and to keep going because I realize that I have a responsibility to uh, be present with those who are suffering. As well. mm-hmm. Yeah. And what about you? Um, I mean, I'm kind of across the board, and like you, I, I find that the more I talk about what I'm going through as, as just a human being, as a parent, as a Christian who's very confused about many, many things right now, um, the more I talk about it, the more I kind of find company in it. Um, and to that end, I'll say some of the particular ways that I'm experiencing grief are, for one, I'm I've got a son in college right now, and his um, everyone around him has COVID-19, and he's on total lockdown and hasn't been outside in four days. Um, so, I mean, I'm not saying that. It, it's just in my, my other children are doing online. And so I have a lot of sadness around their disappointment and my ability to do anything about it, to make it better, um, and, and just – some, some grief around lost hopes and lost expectations and lost time. As a spouse, I think there's a lot of strain on relationships. Um, I'm sure many people can relate to that right now. And um, the, the other piece, I think, is as just a Christian, there are a lot of things that I, I took for granted and I thought I understood about God, about the church, about my call, my vocation, and I'm not as certain right now. And so grief in this big sense is very, very caught up with disorientation and confusion. And I think that's very true to what grief is like. Um, in grief, we really don't know how we're going to get to the other side or what the other side's going to look like. And then, and finally, I'd say just as a priest, um, you know, we've certainly seen Death in the parish due to both COVID, but also other things, but that the grief around those deaths is very complicated by the situation and not being able to have the funeral that we might have expected, um, not being able to have friends gather around us. Um, you just in the same way, I can't really fix things for my children. I can't fix things for our parishioners right now either. And, and I so want to be able to make it better. And I'm just having to find that I'm having to trust that God can do that work and that God is there in ways that I can't be. Um, so, and I, you know, 
we also have had a lot of prisoners who've lost loved ones and are having to make some difficult decisions about, do I go to the funeral? Do I um, go visit someone who's dying? And I think walking with people through that is a, a grieving process in and of its own. So that's kind of where I am generally. Thank you. Well, it must be a, a anxiety producing having your son away, especially with so many of his peers who have contracted COVID-19 and just hoping and praying and then not being there. So that distance <laughs> would be another part of the anxiety. Yeah, I think it is. And I, you know, I, I, that's certainly something I'm experiencing that just feeling of helplessness. Um, but I, I see that with so many people right now, you know, um, if you have a, a parent who is, sick and in an assisted living facility, you may not be able to visit. You know, I think that's something many of us are struggling with, just this, we can't be there for people in person in the way we want to be. And so it brings up this whole sense of like, what can I control? <laughs> and um, yeah, I'm anxiety is something I'm really good at. So thank you for naming that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I think the last part of grief, and we'll talk more about this, I think of when this first occurred, when we started in late winter talking about what this means, and I'm thinking of the pastoral care priests at St. Luke's. And weddings, while it's disappointing if you have to push your wedding off, but I'm thinking of people who die and not being able to have the comfort of others around you in that time, and dying alone is one of the, I think, cruelest things that I can think of, and that's the particular cruelty in this pandemic of people, even though doctors and nurses are around, but not being able to be there with a loved one. Because what I've taught and what I've, what I've practiced in my ministry is bringing people together so that they can say goodbye to their loved one and be there and that the person will not die alone. And in this case, that is happening. So yeah. really hard. So how are you adjusting? I mean, I'm, I'm curious, given the fact that you can't fall back on a lot of the things that you've used to, or at least in the way you used to, how are you adjusting and, and supporting people and finding hope in this time, especially for your parishioners? I think one thing that, I, I I turn to is, and, and it started the first Sunday. I was the priest to be celebrant and preacher the first Sunday we went to live streaming, which was March 15th. And I remember walking into an empty nave, and I, one parishioner talk, uh, told me that she just burst into tears when she saw her church, St. Luke's, and it was empty. And of course, the large space we have here. I, when, I, when I preached that sermon, that's one way I was trying to hold the congregation together. I realized that moment and, and the weight of that moment. And I prayed to be able to say something to give them hope. And the hope that I tried to provide is looking at this in the context of human history that we are not the first mm -hmm. and we're not the worst. 
and how it could seem like the end of the world, but I reminded them of just this, with the, the epidemic of 1918, and where millions of people died, and the Cuban Missile Crisis, and Pearl Harbor, and World War I, and World War II, and all of these AIDS epidemic, uh, pandemic. So all these things that looked like the end of the world, I, I referred to my mom when Robert Kennedy was assassinated, after all those assassinations, feeling like the world was coming to an end. So I've tried to put it in context and say, God has always been with us mm -hmm. in the worst of times. And God will be with us in this time. And this too will pass. So I've tried to, to say words of reassurance, to go to our faith, mm -hmm. to, to pray with people, to recognize their anxiety and their frustration, their fears, the um, not knowing what's going to happen, that all those are real and those feelings are all fine. But at the end of the day, trying to encourage them not to fall into despair and encouraging them to find books like the book I'm reading now, the book of joy. Mm -hmm. and, and how can we find joy in the midst of this? And Bishop Tutu and the Dalai Lama offer comfort that we can find joy, even as difficult as this has been, there are silver linings that we have been able to find. And one was Atlanta's traffic at the beginning. <laughs> at really? the beginning. <laughs> I mean, that was a short period, but I was like, I, I never thought I would say I didn't mind driving in Atlanta. And <laughs> it was that period where you were out on the interstate and in streets and people were not out and Gosh, you get around in places. And so that was one thing. And we got some time to, to work at home. We didn't have to deal with traffic every day. We were not coming in. I've been able to read and relax on my deck. So I have found ways, and I encourage parishioners to find those ways not to isolate themselves. But what brings you joy? And how can you do that in a safe way? And that is where I try to encourage them to deal with the grief in this period. Yeah. You said, so has it been, what are what, some ways that you have uh, responded to this uh, period? And what have you been able to say to parishioners at the cathedral? You know, one of the um, hardest things about this for me as a priest, and I don't want to, you know, make it all about being a priest, but is I don't know what to say. Um, I have never been through this before, and um, I often feel that way in the face of death that, you know, I, I don't know what to say, and I feel totally inadequate for the moment. Um, and yet, I think there's a grace in that because those moments aren't really all about me. Um, they're not really all about me having the perfect, in fact, they're not at all about me having the perfect words or being the perfect presence. And um, those moments draw me. God, draw me to God's feet, draw me to prayer, and um, I think help me trust that God is there in ways for others and, and for me and, and even for the deceased in ways that I can't see or maybe imagine um, and certainly can't do myself. So, so that's what, you know, I feel at a loss for words in a way that I haven't in a really, really long time. And um, 
use, use the word weight. I think there's a lot of weight on all of us, you know, ordained or not, there's a lot of weight on, you know, how do I care for people? How do I say the right thing? Um, what is the right thing to do in this moment when we're so, you know, pulled this way and that with the pandemic and racism and injustice. And I mean, there's so much going on right now. It's, it's hard to know. And, um, so I just keep coming back to that term, you know, disorientation, that I think it's a moment of profound disorientation, which is what grief is. I mean, when you lose a loved one and your whole life is turned upside down and you can't imagine how you're really going to continue without this person or what your life will look like, I think that's profound disorientation. And I think as a church and as a society, we're going through that kind of disorientation where we don't know what's what it's going to look like on the, the other side of this. Um, so I think the first thing is just naming that I don't know and that not knowing is an act of faith in and of itself. Um, trusting that that's an okay place to be for me and for others. And that um, that's actually where faith maybe begins. And, you know, I don't know, but I trust that God is there and God will get me and others through this. Um, a couple things that you said that really resonated with me um, are the recognition of just naming, you know, this is hard. <laughs> this is new. This stinks. Um, I am not my best self right now, and neither is anyone around me. Um, I don't know what to do or don't know what to say. You know, just naming, naming that, naming um Naming our losses, I think, is an important part of moving towards healing. And um, so that piece, but holding it together with, you know, what you were talking about with the silver lining. So I think we name our losses. We let ourselves feel our losses and feel grief. I mean, grief is basically our reaction to loss. So we do that. But as Christians, we do that in the context of faith, in the context of this bigger narrative, which is the you know, resurrection comes after death and um, this bigger narrative that God is at work towards liberation and resurrection and new life. Um, and so it's, that kind of makes me think about the story. And I, I certainly, it's something else you said that I really resonated with is, you know, remembering this overarching story that we're a part of and, you know, trying to put what we're going through right now in perspective and in the perspective of this God that we worship and this whole history of humanity. And um, so that's, I just, I've been thinking a lot about story and how story, story is something that's helping me get through this. Our sacred stories, um, the story of God, the story of Christ, and the stories of our community. And um, the more I share my story and hear other people's stories, the less I feel alone. <laughs> yeah. I'm curious because I know that you have, written and talked a good bit about the power of narrative in moments like this. So I'm, I'm wondering if you could say more about, um, you know, why does story help so much? Why does narrative help so much? And when we're going through something like this, what's your experience around that? I think stories allow us a, a space. It allows us to find a place in the world where we can connect. And so making those connections are so important in being able to find strength to go on. And I think of a couple of, 
of stories in my pastoral care ministry. One, when I was chaplain in Johnson City, Tennessee. And I remembered this story of a man who had gone out on a motorcycle and just heightened my <laughs> my discomfort with motorcycles because of what <laughs> happened. It was my worst day in chaplaincy. It was a Sunday afternoon, beautiful day like today. He had gone out for a Sunday stroll. He gets to a stop sign, and the people in the car did not stop. So he had nowhere to go but into the car and was just kind of impaled on the car. And so I was the on-call chaplain. And so I got a call from the ER that the wife was on her way down, and I needed to meet the wife and the ER nurse and the doctor in the family room. Oh, so I, I went to the ER, and I'll never forget this wife and how helpless. She talked about being helpless. That there was nothing I could do to take away her pain. That I will never forget her face and wanting so much to take that away. So here was this grief that was sudden grief. Wayne Oates has written about different types of grief, uh, and sudden grief is one where it's a shock to the system. So I remember family members came into the ER, and I remember talking with the niece of this man and how she talked about her anger with God. And as she began to talk about her story of how her uncle was so good and how he cared for her and loved her. And I gave her that space to tell her story. In that, I found, I think it was healing for her when I responded by saying, I understand why you would be angry at this point because it's so unfair. And she, that really gave her that, it gave her an opportunity to be relieved of that, what could be guilt and shame. Gosh, I can't be angry with God. And I think the anger that we're going through with all this has happened, being able to hear a story of someone who's gone through this, this journey of loss and be able to draw from that and say, okay, this person was able to get through it. This is how this person dealt with it. I think stories are powerful. And one of the things I think narrative is so great is because in our stories, we are able to understand more about life and be able to learn from other stories. And, and that's why I find stories so important in getting us through difficult times. It's a way to learn. It's a way to find strength from others who've had that experience. Oh, gosh. You've had that experience, and it's a way of connecting. Yeah. Yeah, and you, you've named, I mean, I hadn't really expected you to do, draw this out, but you named the two sides of stories. I mean, both the need of space, the need for space to tell our own stories and the need to hear other stories. Um, I've been thinking a lot about how much I'm really relying on other people's stories. Um, there's so many 
you know, the one, one reality at this time when we're not able to just see each other at church and, you know, we catch up after services and, you know, all that kind of just regular interaction that we have. Um, so now I feel like a lot of the interactions are around things that are hard, you know, people reach out and they're like, I'm going through a hard time. Um, but I, and, and so that can kind of weigh on you. Um, you know, it just feels like there's so much bad news, not just in the parish, but like in the world right now. <laughs> um, but then every now and then I'll get this email about good news. And I realized how much I needed that, you know, it's, and, and I, I write back, I'm like, thank you. Oh my gosh. I didn't realize how much I needed your piece of news. Um, and so anyway, I, I hadn't really thought about that, um, but also just the need to share our own stories. And I certainly know that um, every time I kind of say out loud what I'm going through or what I'm feeling, I feel less alone and less crazy. Yes. And that. That is a good feeling. <laughs> Kathy, I want to commend you for being vulnerable with, with us this evening by saying, and I, I think parishioners know this, although sometimes they act like priests or we're so next to God that we are going not to... A, get, not my first nurse. <laughs> okay. Well, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> even, even today, and I'll talk about just short... A conversation I had with a parishioner today who's having a really, really, really hard time. But that you could be vulnerable and that you can say, I don't know what to say. And that's great. The ministry of presence, which of course we talk about, that you hold space for parishioners. Mm-hmm. And being able to hold space and for some people, as our parishioner said today, I need to say it to a priest. Now, and, and I know there's a danger in getting in clericalism, and we don't and I try to empower lay people to say with community of hope to say, you all can do the same work of, of praying and being present with people. But for her, the Eucharist always centered her and she's having a hard time praying. She cannot pray. She cannot talk about God. She, she's just really having a miserable time. And so I asked her, how has she gotten through other times that have been difficult? And she said, it's when I've been able to come to church. And in all these crises I named, with the exception of the 1918 flu, we've been able to gather in faith, houses of faith. And uh, being able to go to houses of worship and come together. And for her, if she's receiving Eucharist, Holy Communion, that brings her to a certain, it grounds her. And mm-hmm. that, that has been taken away from her, she says, is why she's having a hard time getting back. Yeah. But she says, being able to say it to a priest, today she sent me an email and said, just being able to talk to you has made a difference. I feel better. Yeah. Uh, have you found resources um, helpful in this time that you've turned to to sort of ground you and as you ground others or try to ground others. <laughs> or help, help ask for others to help ground me. Oh, yeah, well. <laughs> well, we've kind of named a few. I mean, one, the sharing of stories, and by that, I mean, I think we're talking about a lot of different things when we talk about sharing stories. Um, 
but that has really been helpful. I'm finding I'm connecting to scripture in a way that I haven't. I mean, passages that I've read before over and over and over again, it's like, oh my gosh, I get it now in a much deeper way than I ever had before. Um, I And I see a few people who are in this Bible study that I do. We've been making our way through Exodus. And these about um, bondage and liberation and going through the wilderness and, you know, being in argument with God, like that is resonating with me in a way I haven't. So those kind of like you were saying before that getting that long perspective of we are not the first and we're not the worst. Um, Cause the Israelites were pretty, they were pretty pesky when they were in the wilderness. And that makes me feel better about all of my complaints and whining and laments. <laughs> um, so that's one, one resource. Um, I, I'd say actually, our parishioners have been a huge resource for me. Um, you know, being at, at the beginning of this, I mean, all the people who show up in these awkward formats and um, that's been really, and just the the kind of people checking in and saying, you know what, I'm praying for you too. And um, that, that kind of thing goes a long way. Another resource, you know, we're talking, you were talking about weddings and funerals. We don't have access to the kinds of rituals that we are used to and Eucharist. Um, but I still am turning to the prayer book a lot. And, you know, when I, when we don't have the words for what to do, I think those rituals can still ground us and those words can still ground us. And I just keep coming back to words that have been prayed by people who've been through grief, who've been through loss, who've been through death, who've been through all kinds of things um, and found words and left words for us. So those have been really helpful. And I just keep, you know, we are able to do outdoor funerals and, uh, you know, it doesn't, we may not have the flowers, we may not have the music, we may not have all the things that we normally have, but um, just praying those words with others, the prayer of commendation. Oh my goodness. I mean, I just pray that over and over. <laughs> um, so those have been resources. So I'd say scripture, stories, community. And, and then the, the last thing I, well, prayer, <laughs> um, the less I know and the less I understand, the more I find myself in prayer. And also in a particular kind of prayer, which you and I talked about, Horace, um, lament. Um, I'm, that's another piece of scripture that I'm getting in a different way right now is what lament really is. Um, and I think everybody knows, but just to, you know, lament is a form of prayer that we see throughout the Psalms and tons of other places in the Bible. But it names hard truths. It doesn't shy away from hard truths. Um, it kind of protests against injustice and and death even sometimes, but it takes it all to God. And, and I, so I think lament in and of itself and naming the hard truths is an act of hope. Um, so those are some of the resources that I've found. Um, I'm kind of curious what you've seen or what's been sustaining you or um, sustaining others. Yes. Thank you. That's great. When this began back in March, when we, started responding to the reality and that we would not be able to gather for a long time. We started, we, 
my colleague, Elizabeth Shouse, the Reverend Elizabeth Shouse Kathy, and I started Noonday Prayer in Compline. Yeah. And I have been so helped by my self being able to go through Noonday Prayer daily and to be able to pull from the daily office uh, the prayers and to, to come up with the meditation. One meditation I did was uh, using Rabbi Kushner's book, When Bad Things Happen to Good People. And just because we asked those questions, why, where's God? And, you know, of course, if you've read it, Rabbi Kushner comes out and says he lost his son, um, lost a child, and that really was the impetus for his writing the book. And he said, more, so many times we ask, why did this happen to me? And he said, really the question is, given that this has happened, how can I draw from this? What is it to learn from this? And how can I move forward given this experience that's out of our control? And so sharing that with parishioners, being able to talk about the blackberry bush. And I, I gave, I used this metaphor. I grew up in Florida and we would pick blackberries. And blackberries, of course, were so delicious. But on the blackberry bush, there are thorns. So I use that as a, as a metaphor, as an image of saying, yes, there are many beautiful things still about life and so many good things we can find. But the thorn, this, we're in a, this is a thorn that we have with us. And being able to appreciate life in the midst of those thorns that, that we, we have. Um, one, one book that I, so we had a grief support group this summer. Yeah. One of the therapists here, um, Meg Moy, who also does counseling at the cathedral, she and I co-lead this, uh, co-led the support group for COVID-19. We're going to do, uh, we're going to broaden it in the fall as we go forward. But this summer, we want to focus just on COVID-19 and being able to give space every other week for parishioners to talk about what they're going through. And one of the books that I've found really helpful is Kurt Neely's book, When Grief Comes. And he wrote out of his own grief of losing an adult son. And so he wrote this book, and there is a part of it that I want to read about tears and how tears are healing. And I hope that we've been able to feel that we can cry and that when we cry, we can find healing from those tears. And so I'm just going to pull up this part that um, he has written, if I can find it. It's always hard to find things when everybody's waiting on you. And oh, yeah, that's right. So if you just talk, let me pull it up. Because <laughs> it, it is here. I believe it. Um, I had the pleasure of teaching his daughter when I was in sem- uh, teaching seminary. Uh, she was in college, and she ended up going to Vanderbilt uh, to do get her. Um, she got an M- MTS, I think. And she's now ordained in the Baptist church. And so she was, um, I was able to um, spend time with her and meet him. And so he, he wrote this part about tears that I'm going to read now. 
He writes, once we are numb, others may marvel at our composure. Isn't she taking it well? Or he's just the rock of Gibraltar. Or among the things people might say of us. The numbness is not our strength. It is God's gift. But this anesthesia is not complete. We still have episodes of uncontrolled emotion. When the tears flood our eyes, we need to let them flow. Struggling to hold ourselves together is not wise. The stress of grief can cause emotional and physical illness. Crying during grief is a tension outlet similar to the safety valve on a pressure cooker. Tears reduce the stress. We may be able to choose our times and a place to weep, but we need to allow ourselves the opportunity to cry in order to provide relief. Thank you, Horace. Thank you, Kathy. I appreciate you both so much for being on with us tonight. Um, you said so many things that have just resonated with me. I really like, Horace, um, your metaphor about the blackberry bush. I mean, that's exactly how I feel right now. Uh, <laughs> but there are so many beautiful aspects of life, um, especially some that come through so much clearer now since we are in the midst of all of this. Um, and uh, Kathy, uh, Thank you for all of your words as well. Um, we'd like to close tonight with a prayer. Uh, Kathy, do you mind doing the honor? No. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Hold on. Say, Q&A. 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 Hold on. Sorry. First time. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Um, if anybody has any questions, uh, we can do it one of two ways. You can click the participant button at the bottom and your name will come up and you can raise your hand. We do have a lot of the videos um, on audio only, uh, so we can't see everybody at the moment. Um, or you can type a question in the chat box. Or comments. I did comments or question while we're waiting. Um, I, I can't remember who it was, maybe it was Seashells, asking about the names of the books and um, I think Corey, you're going to post uh, post the names the the book that Horace recommended, and there are a few others. Um, I am. We will have we will have all those listed in um, on our page, our conversations with the priest page. Uh, just give us time to update that. Um, anybody have a question? Hmm. Okay. Yeah, oh, I see this. The Book of Job is also a good resource for addressing grief. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> um, I don't know who said that, if they'd like to say more. Um, if you just unmute yourself. I'm Mackenzie, and I am missing the Eucharist as well. And that centers me as well. And I feel like that's been taken away from me and I'm trying to do it the best that I can at home, but it's not the same. Yeah. What do you suggest for that? 
I'm missing it too. <laughs> um, Horace, do you want to, listen, you want to say something? Well, yeah, I, I, I made reference to it earlier this afternoon. I spoke with the parishioner who was saying that, that of all the things that gives her a centering, a grounding is the Eucharist. And she's saying that, well, because we are not able to gather, and even though we celebrate each Sunday live stream, she said it's not the same. And I would think that you can, yes, if you're watching it, and I think, Mackenzie, you're saying it's at home, it's not the same. First of all, you're not gathered. It's not, it's part of the familiar that is so important. When in times of crises, we turn to what's familiar, what gives us a feeling of normal. So for you, it's your, you're spiritually fed by the Eucharist. And as Episcopalians, it is probably the hardest thing for us because other faith communities, um, aside from probably the Roman Catholic Church, maybe the Lutheran uh, Church, that is not so central. There are other parts that may be more central, but the Eucharist is for us. So I would say, given that we cannot even take communion to parishioners, at least at the moment. We are getting ready to go into September. I would say, Mackenzie, hang on. That this will pass. We will be able to regather. I know some parishes are beginning smaller congregations. They're able to regather and have that Eucharist again. Now, it's going to be maybe in uh, just with the wafer, the bread, in, in one kind. But I think that just hang in there. Um, this all I can, I, we can't do anymore at this point, but I can just say that it won't always be this way. So. Thank, you. Thank you so much for your encouragement. That helps. Oh, thank you. Great. Thank you. And I'd like to add to that. Um, I mean, I think we all share that loss right now. And, and, and just to name that, that's something else that I'm grieving. It sounds like you're grieving. I know many of us are grieving. And um, we talk about anchors or resources in this time. And the Eucharist is one of those that we don't have access to in the way we're used to. Um, so I just affirm Horace saying, hang on, this is not forever. Um, and I've been thinking a lot about exile and, you know, the Old Testament experience of exile and what it, what it was like for the Israelites to not be able to go, you know, they were exiled from um, Jerusalem, from their temple, from their worship spaces, and, um, and yet somehow in that they stayed connected and became a new people. So I've been thinking a lot about that. The other thing is spiritual communion and just this, it's not the same as being together in person, but trusting that we are, you know, Christ is still there. Um, Christ doesn't depend on us being able to go into the church and process up to the altar. Um, that's for us. But I think Christ is still there when we gather on Sunday morning virtually. And that's the miracle of God. <laughs> and many people are, are doing communion in different ways. Um, you know, at, at the cathedral, we're trying to leave it very open-ended. 
We don't want to tell you how to, what to do during that time. But I know many people are taking bread and water and having a meal and blessing. You know, some people are offering other things. And so we're all having to be creative, but it is a loss. So the other thing, well, I won't say that. Just know that I will say it <laughs> now that I've started. Um, the diocese of uh, all the clergy in the diocese of Atlanta are with you in this. And I mean, we spend a lot of time talking about how we can have communion safely. So just know that um, we're all working on it and, and feel that loss too. Yeah. Thank you so much for your encouragement. It really helps. Good. Thank you, Mackenzie. What a great question. Um, thank you, Kathy and Horace. Does anybody else have another question? Uh, I think you can actually just unmute yourself if you need. Uh, I wanted to, to just share some of what I've done to try to uh, alleviate some of my grief and anxiety. And that I don't know how many of you uh, actively read forward day by day. Uh, that's the Episcopal devotional booklet. It is, I never miss it. <laughs> and um, I have found, ever since this COVID business began, I, I have found real comfort in, in reading that and, this, and all the scriptures, the devotional thoughts of the writers, um, just everything about it. And uh, I got real frustrated because... Um, I didn't have the real copy of it. I uh, COVID hit before I could get a new copy at the bookstore and I was really frustrated and I have been dragged kicking and screaming into the 21st century. And then I realized, Oh, I can get this online. And, you know, I wanted the real thing in my hands, <laughs> but I've discovered I can get it online and it is, I enjoy it even more because so many people are online now with Forward Day by Day, and you can read their comments. People have conversations with each other from clear across the country. It's really quite a wonderful thing, and I never thought I would say that. But um, I am enjoying Forward Day by Day uh, to, to help ease some of the, the pain and the grief. So I would highly recommend it. If you don't uh, read Day by Day, uh, you might want to think about starting it because I find it very helpful. BJ, thank you. BJ, thank you um, for that. But one of the silver linings, giving silver linings, so we have more blackberries than thorns, uh, <laughs> at least more than we thought, is that we are we can be a global, more of a global community now. Mm -hmm. We we've been able to connect with people. Uh, there's a woman in the Virgin Islands who tuned into Noonday Prayer, mm -hmm. and she just talked about how much that really fed her soul. Yeah. And so I've connected with her. So in that way, we people we probably never would have known or at least had a connection with whom we would not have had a connection, we can because live stream, mm -hmm. thank God for technology, mm -hmm. that we've been able to make that connection. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think there are people who are able to participate. I mean, 
there's some people who can't participate in worship now because they don't have the technology. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Our situation has made our services accessible to others who couldn't come before. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. So that there's an opening there that's making us think differently about, you know, what does it mean to gather and and how do we do that in a way that's really accessible to as many people as possible. I was a little concerned in the beginning that um, just as I have have a love-hate relationship with technology, (laughs) I am uh, of that age where this was, you know, I went through a large part of my life before we had this capability. And so some of the older parishioners, 80s, 90s, have just been loving it and commending what St. Luke's has been able to provide in the ministry and still able to watch the services and and they haven't had to leave their home, um, some of them not able to. And so my concern was, well, I hope we can get them back because <laughs> they've become so comfortable with just turning on their computer. Yeah. <laughs> so, but the woman I said, she said, oh, don't worry, I want to come back to church. Mm-hmm. Right. And this is better too, than that. Church in my pajamas with coffee is a nice thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, and so many times they see that I'm a priest from waist up. The <laughs> <laughs> director said, Horace, you're in shorts. Oh, that's so true. That's so funny. That's so funny. I know. Well, thank you. That was a wonderful question. Uh, wonderful feedback. Does anybody else have anything else they'd like to add or ask? I'd just like to make a quick comment and just thank them both because this has been one of the nicest Zoom meetings. Mm-hmm. Just as far as sharing your vulnerability, Kathy, and your stories and and Horace, everything you've shared. Um, mm-hmm. Because after having so many Zoom meetings and real just meetings, you don't connect. It definitely... There's something missing about being in the presence of another person, but this yeah. has been just more, um, I guess, you know, confronting the emotion that you've shared with us and that's liberating. Yeah. It's a nice feeling. So thank you. Yeah. Oh, thank you, Marcy. You're I agree. I've got a comment um, about connecting with people Um, and being at church, and not being able to connect, and I watch our service. I go to St. Luke's, and we live stream the service, and one of the venues is Facebook. Now, in Facebook, you can, you have a chat line, and I connect with all of these people who are on Facebook watching the service with me, saying hi, we say good morning, we say amen, we, um, it's like talking in church and not getting caught. But, <laughs> but there is still an energy, a connection that I can make with all these people. And there are certain people now. We had certain seats. Well, they're still there. But now there are certain people that you just wait to see their names appear on Facebook. So that has has really helped bring the church service closer to me and give me um, a greater sense of community, seeing people 
name to name. So that's been a really great thing. And I don't get caught talking in church. <laughs> that, you know, there is something about, even though, so we stream our services on our website and on Facebook, and you can come back and watch them anytime. Yeah. And I know a lot of people do, and I do sometimes, but I still make a point to watch the service at 845 and 1115. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Normally worship, because there's something to me about knowing I'm worshiping at the same time with other people. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's not about watching a show. It's about being in community. And, you know, I'll see some of those comments as well. But even if I don't, just knowing we're gathered here together. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, Horace and I are both, um, and all the clergy right now, are doing a lot of recording. You know? <laughs> um, and every time I record, I see the people. You, you know, you have to really feel and trust in that connection. And I think that makes a difference. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We also have a really large Sunday school class. So the cathedral members yeah. know it's called Old Fashioned Sunday School. And um, in regular times, there can be 150 people. Mm-hmm. In the room. And if you're sitting in the front of the room, you have no idea who's behind you. And now everybody can, I mean, I think folks are actually learning names. Yes, yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, I can sit there and study the name and the face. You sit in the front row, you can actually see who sits in the back row. So I'm not saying it's a substitute, but but it is, you know, a silver lining or a black mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Blackberries. <laughs> if you like blackberries. I like blackberries. Are there any other questions? I know we wanted to be mindful of everyone's time. Okay. Well, since there are no more questions, um, we really will end with a prayer. Uh, We want to thank you all for being here. We have been asked by a lot of people that couldn't join us tonight if there would be an audio feed of this. We will be putting it up on our website under Conversations with the Priest. So um, you can go back and listen to anything you might have missed. Uh, Once again, thank you, Kathy, and thank you, Horace, so much for being here. and if you'd like to end with the prayer, Kathy, I would be grateful. Yes, and I'm going to, um, since I've said that often, you know, right now I often don't have words, but the prayer book does. <laughs> um, I commend to all of you, this This may sound morbid, but the burial rites in our prayer book, um, it, they're just filled with prayers that have been prayed throughout centuries and um, carried people through difficult times. And there's a list of additional prayers, too. And so I would like to close with one of the prayers from the prayer book. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Let us pray. Grant, O Lord, to all who are bereaved the spirit of faith and courage, that they may have strength to meet the days to come with steadfastness and patience, not sorrowing as those without hope, but in thankful remembrance of your great goodness and in the joyful expectation of eternal life with those they love. And this we ask in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, We hope to see you all next week on our next episode of Conversations with the Priest. Have a good evening. Thank you.
Dovolte.